the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God in His amazing power and mercy had set the Israelites free from their bondage in Egypt. He had walked them every step of the way for 40 years, even when they had rebelled against Him. They had experienced His abundant provision and seen God fight on their behalf, giving them victories against the Moabites and Amalekites on the east side of the Jordan River. They were on the verge of entering into the land promised them. Moses has been warning them not to forget God and His word when good times come. He tells them to remember how far God had taken them and that His discipline in their lives was for their benefit, that they would learn His holy and awesome nature. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. Verse 5. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Again, that word consider means you need to take time and care to know something. You need to ponder this. That as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Now, how is a man supposed to chasten his son? Well, the word chasten there, it means to teach or correct in order to teach someone or to correct someone in order to change their bad behavior. We discipline our children to teach them that what they've done is wrong and to help them do the right thing in the future. That's why we discipline our kids. We do not discipline them because we're annoyed enough to do something about their behavior finally. We don't discipline them because we want all the families in church to think we're good parents. We don't discipline our children because that makes life easier for us. In fact, discipline, I discovered, is never for the benefit of the person doing the disciplining. Never. Like discipline isn't about you. It's not for you. My dad used to say, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. First off, that was a lie. But I understood what his point was. There are times when you're sitting there as a parent and you're like, there they go again. It's already been like eight times today. I have nothing else to take away from them. Banish them from their room, I guess. I don't know. What else do you do? You know, you're just not getting through. There are times you just be like, you know what? I don't care. They're going to be a brat. Let them be a brat. Click. Just watch the TV. It's not about me. You have to pick yourself up. There was a time with one of our kids, you know, Barry looked at me. She's like, you need to go talk to them. And I was like, nope, I don't want to. I don't like them very much right now. And at this point, they've been so stubborn and whatever. I just really don't care. Now, not my brightest moment as a father, but that's how I felt. Now I'm sitting there in the bedroom because that's where we had had our little thingaming. They're in their room because that's where they need to stay because I don't want to see them. But as I'm sitting there, the Lord's like, really? Like, you're making this about you. And, and, you know, Bev had been telling me, you know, we're the parents. God gave us to them. We're to serve them. We're to minister to them. It's not about us. It's not about our frustration, our hurt, whatever. And I'm sitting there and the Lord's dealing with me. Eventually, you know, I got up and you know, ministered to the child. But the idea is, is it's not about us. It's not for our benefit. 
It's for the benefit of the person being disciplined. See, time and time again, God got upset at the Lord's discipline instead of using it as an opportunity to learn that something ugly was in their heart that caused their wicked behavior. And so God would allow these opportunities for them to examine their hearts. He would show them what was really in their heart so that they would learn from it and know what they needed to repent of. Regarding parenting, before we can even get into how we respond to the Lord, you know, do you discipline your children with this mindset, with the right mindset, for their benefit, not for yours? You know, if you're not, then you need to repent. Your goal isn't to make kids that are acceptable to society. Your goal is to train a child in the way that he should go, to cultivate their heart. We're with kids, with our own kids or other people's kids, and I'm I'm trying to deal with them. I'm doing counseling with them. I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the real problem here? Like, the real problem is not the behavior. There's something deeper than that that's causing the behavior. And my job is to help them see that and learn that. And are you doing that as a parent? But, you know, if you're looking for help right now, I would really encourage you, strongly encourage you to read the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It is a great book on parenting. If you have teenagers, they've written a book that's called Age of Opportunity. And, you know, so many times we talk about teenagers as frustrating times. This guy, the brothers that wrote the book, they premise in there, no, it's an age of opportunity. It's an opportunity to discipline and train your child. And so we need to take advantage of that and not look at it as a burden upon us. As regards God's discipline, do you respond to God's discipline like Israel? Do you despise it? Or are you open to God's correction? We need to be open to God's correction. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I've been here for the last two years. We already went through all this in Numbers. Why are we learning it again? Why is Moses repeating these things to this generation? All those people are dead. They didn't learn it. Why is he repeating it to this generation? Well, remember, this chapter is about remembering. This chapter begins, it starts with a charge to remember when they're victorious in taking the land. So you needed to remember what happened there, remember what God had done, and remember the discipline that God brought so that when they are successful in taking the land and they've settled down, they don't forget the Lord. See, the question in this chapter isn't, did the previous generation learn from the wilderness experience? No. The question is, did this generation, as they were growing up, learn from that experience? Because if they didn't learn, then they will forget God after they're victorious in the land. And so the Lord says in verse six, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. If we're gonna succeed in good times, not only do we need to remember what God has done for us to bring us here, not only do we need to remember God's discipline in the past, but we need to remember that obedience always brings blessing. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. That's this you, you shall keep his commandments. Not the past generation, but you now in light of all that God did to walk in his ways and to fear him. Now this phrase, you will keep his commandments, it will be repeated often in Deuteronomy. I mean, it's the theme after all, right? Love God supremely. That's what Deuteronomy is about. And we do that by being obedient to the Lord. But Moses reminds them of the blessings that are waiting. Verse seven through nine. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks and water. He says here are fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness and you shall not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron. I can attest to that. I saw all of them. And out of whose skills you may dig brass. When the spies went into the land, they confirmed that it was good. But despite that they confirmed it was good, 10 of them brought up an evil report about the land, which caused the people to think it wasn't a good place for their families. So Moses, he reminds them here why it was good. Number one, plenty of water supply. In comparison to the desert area all around Israel, there was tons of water sources in the promised land. Israel was rich in crops back then. It is today as well. It has plenty of rocks to spare. You can see that they 
used them in the ancient ruins that have been excavated. The copper mines of Solomon, these brass area, the copper mines of Solomon are well known even today. The land had everything they would need. All they had to do is obey. But to obey, they would need to remember because forgetting breeds disobedience. Look at verse 10. When you have eaten and you are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. See, remembering keeps us thankful. When you are full there, it means when you are satisfied. It means to be in a state of physical contentment. It's the exact opposite of their time in the desert with trouble and distress. He says, when that happens, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given to you. To bless the Lord, it means to praise him, to speak of his excellence, to thank him. Praising and thanking God and maintaining that attitude are appropriate responses to good times. And so, you know, I ask you tonight, do you regularly take time to tell God how awesome he is? Just in your own life. I mean, not just here at church. We do that here, but do you just take time every day to thank him, to tell him how awesome he is? And not just at (laughs) mealtimes. Just in your own heart. Just to talk to the Lord and just tell him how much you love him, how awesome he is and how good he's been and to thank him. See, the danger is if I don't, that I'll forget where those blessings are from. For he says, when you have done that, you need to bless the Lord. So beware, verse 11, that you do not forget the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day. What is forgetting? The word to forget here, it means to ignore, to be unmindful of or to overlook. See, most of us don't face the danger of intentionally saying, well, I got what I want from you, God, so forget you. I'm good now. Life is great. Most of us aren't going to be tempted to do that. Most of us, the danger we face is that we grow complacent and we overlook all God's done and we just kind of do life. When that happens, our love for God grows cold, which means our obedience takes a nosedive. He says, beware that you do not forget, so you begin to neglect the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you this day. See, when we're loving God with all we've got, those commands, those statutes, those judgments, remember they stand for his will, his heart, and his standards. When, when we're loving God with all of our heart, we love to do it. We want to please him. And so, you know, his heart, his will, and his standards, they're important to us. But when our love starts to grow cold, when our love starts to dim, we're not as concerned about what God thinks about things or what he wants from our lives or what his standards are. We start to act on our own thoughts or pursue what we want or even make our own standards. And this temptation is real because we can begin to think things are good because we're so good. (laughs) So we need to be extra on our guard in prosperous times. For verse 12 says, lest when you have eaten and you are full, and here it is, and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, here it is, verse 14, that your heart be lifted up, become proud or arrogant. It means to exalt yourself to an improper status. I was at Chick-fil-A for a while. Bev had been encouraging me to apply for the school system for years while I was there after I'd gone back and hated my job and finally loved my job again and was trusting the Lord. And she said, you know, go try it out for the school system. And I finally did and got the job there. And then God just started pouring out financial blessing upon our family. It was like, we didn't even know what to do. We'd never, we'd never gotten a paycheck like that before. And it was just crazy. Like, and, and, and everything was going great. And it's like, I would get raises every three months because of how prosperous God had made me at the school I was at. I, I was the only manager that got a school without them putting the position up because they said, we don't want anybody here because of how well you're doing. And you know, the school's been a problem for us. It's all the Lord, all the Lord. It was crazy. It was miraculous. It was just him. He just prospered. Literally everything I touched turned to gold while I was there. 
when that happens, the danger is, is we can begin to, it's nothing wrong with getting excited about good things like that. There's nothing wrong with being excited when God blesses you, but we can get to a place where we can begin to think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And we forget that it was God who was just pouring out blessings. What does it say that prosperity doesn't come? It's Jeremiah, I think. It doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord, right? It comes from the Lord. No matter how good a job you're doing, it's him. There's nothing wrong even like Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. He was doing good. He Follow me as I follow the Lord. See how God's blessed me? He'll bless you if you obey him too. There's nothing wrong with that. I should be able to do that. I should be able to look at someone and say, hey man, look how God's blessed my marriage. Or look how God's blessed my family. Or look how God's blessed my life. That comes from obedience. He'll bless you as well. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to accredit it to us and say, well, you know, <laughs> the reason, you know, the family's doing so well is, well, I'm just so good at disciplining my kids. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second there. See, Paul knew that all the good he did was a result of God's grace. He maintained the mindset of always being dependent upon the Lord, always needing the Lord. He said very clearly in Philippians chapter three, I have not arrived yet. I have not apprehended, laid hold of what Christ laid hold of me for. I'm not there yet. And the attitude described here that lest when you, know, you have, have all this stuff that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The danger is that attitude is one of arrival. Israel would be tempted to think they didn't need the Lord to maintain the blessings that he gave them. And that attitude is arrogant and must be shunned at the first sign because it ignores the reality of how we got to that good place because of all that the Lord alone did for us. And that's the third thing we need to remember, I guess fourth thing. We need to remember all God has done for us in the past. We need to remember God's discipline in our lives in the past. We need to remember that obedience brings blessing, but we need to remember there's a lot of things God did in our life that was just him alone and had nothing to do with us, nothing to do with us. And so in the end of verse 14, Moses reminds them of some of the things that God alone did for them that they had no part of. He says, number one, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God is the only one who rescued Israel from slavery. There was no uprising. There was no like God got it started and then they are like, yeah, charge, kill the Egyptians and they escaped by the might of their hand. There was none of that. God rained down fire from the sky and hailstones that when they hit the ground, they split and lightning and fire shot out. God did all these things all by himself. Israel simply benefited from it. We too were rescued from the slavery of sin, right? We were under the ownership of sin. And now we have Christ as our owner. Ephesians chapter two, it talks about what God did for us. We had no part in this. It says, and you has he quickened. I didn't make myself alive. You has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's even now working in those who aren't saved, the children of disobedience, among whom also we all lived our lives in times past in the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even like they were, even as others. That was who we were. And when we put our faith in Christ, I didn't make myself alive. God did something supernatural. He made me a different person. He took my stony heart and he took it out and he gave me a heart that could actually beat, a heart that could hear his voice, a heart that could know him, a heart that could change. The moment I put my faith in him, he did that supernatural work all by himself. He didn't say, all right now, Will, you put your faith in me and I'm gonna jumpstart the heart again, but you've gotta maintain it. No, he put something new inside of me. He radically changed me. That's why we call it being born again, right? He did something new, a work of creation. And anything good about me, 
is because Jesus set me free and made me a new creation. So he rescued them and he rescued us from slavery. God did that alone. Secondly, look at verse 15. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness. The word there, great, it means huge and terrible means fearful. Why was it fearful? Where wherein were fiery serpents, poisonous snakes, and scorpions, and drought. There was this massive desert full of poisonous snakes and scorpions. Yeah, I'm not Bear or whatever that guy was who would go travel around, you know, and survive in places. Bear Grill, whatever his name is. How do you get a name like that? I'm going to pitch my show. I'm a survival guy and my name's Will Ramirez. No. My name's Bear Grill. You're hired. I don't care what the show's about. But God navigated them through those rough times. They, they wouldn't have survived that on their own. Navigating your early Christian life can feel a bit like that, right? Like scorpions and snakes are out there. Your flesh is against you. The world's trying to rope you back in. The enemy's constantly offering you opportunities to give into both the flesh and the world. When you first get saved, man, it can feel like everything's against you. But you're still here, aren't you? Who navigated you through that fearful time? The Lord did. The Lord did. I didn't make it out of that on my own. In fact, during those times, I made a lot of bad decisions that could have read God's plan for my life. But he kept me walking and he brought me closer so that I don't go astray like that anymore. Thirdly, it says, and there was drought where there was no water, but he brought you forth water out of a rock of flint. God, he rescued them from Egypt all by himself. He navigated them through those rough times in the desert all by himself. But God also provided for them in impossible situations. Had nothing to do with them. And I love it here. It mentions that it wasn't just water out of a rock. It wasn't like sandstone. He says it was a rock of flint, which means like mineral rock. That's like quartz. It's tough to crack. You need heat if you're going to crack that type of thing. The idea here is Israel, they, God picked like the hardest rock to get them. And that rock would follow around the desert. I don't know about you, but this would have been me like in the middle of the night. I, I wouldn't have gone in my tent. I'd been just sitting by that rock. I'd have been like, I'm going when this thing goes because it shows up at camp every single day. But there it was. And God provided water supernaturally through that rock. And maybe did you have habits or sins that the Lord delivered you from? You tried and you tried, but only the Lord could change you, right? How dare we look at how respectable we, we seem now and think it was us. When I first got saved, Beverly, we were friends at the time. We weren't dating I wanted to date her, but she didn't want anything to do with me that way. She was a Christian before I was, and she would always challenge me because I had a potty mouth. She would challenge me to not talk like that. You're a Christian. You shouldn't talk like that. I got convicted over time through that, and I told the Lord, and I said, Lord, I need your help. I need to clean up my potty mouth. But, like, I didn't, I didn't work at it. You know, it wasn't like, okay, instead of saying bleep, say this. Instead of saying bleep, say this. I didn't do that. I just continued to walk with the Lord. And then I remember we were in class together, and I turned over. I go, I look at her, I said, I haven't cursed in, like, six months. She goes, you haven't. It was one of those moments when I realized the Lord did that for me. I didn't do anything. He broke that habit in my life. You know, we can look now and go, yeah, I don't this, I don't that, but we weren't that way before. Let's not take credit for that. Let's remember the Lord did that alone. Not only did God provide in impossible situations all by himself, but he provided in unexpected ways. Look at verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, again, which your fathers knew not. They didn't know about this. Has God ever gotten you out of a mess in a way that you could have never thought of? I think we all have stories like that. There was a time when we were at, had a bill. Some of you have heard this story a thousand times, but I'll tell it again tonight. I was at church. We had a bill. I don't know. It was like 79 bucks or something like that. Back when I was a kid, that was a lot. But we had this bill. I didn't know how we we're going to pay it. And all of a sudden, I'm preaching. One of the ushers comes walking in with a big old parrot on his arm. I'm like, what is he doing? You know, I'm teaching, whatever. So anyway, you know, he, he keeps the parrot inside the back. And, and afterwards, he comes to me and goes, hey, what do you want me to do with this parrot? And I'm like, try to let it go. It wouldn't leave. 
So I took it home. We put up signs everywhere. It was clearly a you know a house pet. It was used to people. It was an expensive one. We put out you know signs. Hey, missing parrot. Nobody claimed it. Guess how much that parrot sold for? Seventy-five bucks. I had so many stories like that. So many stories like that. We must never forget that God did those things, not us. I had nothing to do with that. Why did God rescue them from all these challenges? Because he had an even bigger blessing waiting for them at the end of the journey. He says that he might humble you, that he might prove you to do you good at your latter end. Don't we serve an awesome God? He puts us in the trouble to show us what's in our heart so we can repent and draw near to him all because he just wants to do good things for us at the end of it. Don't we serve an awesome God? Isn't he worthy of our praise, of never neglecting or overlooking that praise? See, the problem is when I do neglect that, wrong ideas come into my head. And so Moses, he warns against that here in verse 17. He says, and you shall say in your heart that my power and my might has gotten me this wealth, my ability, my resources, my sufficient strength, my personal qualifications for the task have accomplished it. He says, no, don't forget, because if you forget the past, you will misinterpret your present. You will misinterpret your present. I got this for myself. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto your fathers, as it is this day. God blesses us out of his goodness. But we can often convince ourselves that we brought about this prosperity. Don't do that. Remember where your prosperity comes from. You shall remember the Lord your God. Again, really ponder what God did and act in light of it. Because even if you have an amazing skill set that is the source of your success, you must remember who gave you that skill set or the mind to develop that skill set. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Now, verse 19, if they forget the past, they will misinterpret the present and they will disobey in the future. For it says, and it shall be if you do at all forget the Lord your God and you walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before your face, so shall you perish because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. You know, God judged the Canaanites, those nations that were in the land right now. He judged them because of their wickedness, not because Israel was better. If Israel does the same wicked things, then God will judge them too. And that's what happened to them, right? God dealt with them. But as long as Israel obeyed the Lord, he would bring to pass all the blessings of chapter seven we looked at last week. Good crops, health, all that stuff. But if they rebelled against the Lord, all of that would go away. And like I said, sadly, that happened many times. Now, God didn't wipe them out because there was always a faithful remnant. But he disciplined them each time they persisted in their disobedience. And while we do have a better covenant than they did, we have a better covenant than the the law of Moses through the cross. We have a better covenant. God does still discipline us when we persist in our disobedience. And I want to leave you with that in Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read to you this section of scripture, beginning in verse 5. The group of Christians he's writing to, they were Jewish believers who were thinking about leaving Christ, renouncing Christ, and going back to Judaism, back to the temple sacrifices, back to, you know, the old way of relating to God. And he tells me, he goes, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. And he quotes Deuteronomy here. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives." Now, if you endure that chasing, that correction from God, then God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father does not chasten? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are illegitimate. You're not sons. One of the proofs that you're God's kid is that he spanks you. (laughs) He deals with you, that he disciplines you. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them respect. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they are earthly fathers, 
They verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, what they thought was best. But God does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. No discipline ever feels good. It feels grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those who are exercised thereby, those who are disciplined and trained through it. If you allow God to discipline you and train you through that, you will have the joy of the fruit of righteous behavior that comes from it. So how do we do that? Well, verse 12, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Stop moping about your difficult time. Start going, Lord, how do I grow through this? How do I get closer to you through this? And make straight paths for your feet. The areas that need to be corrected, correct them. Lest that which is lame turn even further out of the way. But let it rather be healed. That's what God wants to do when he chastens us. What describes your life right now? Does your life about what God thinks, about what God wants, and about God's standard? Or is it your, what you think about things, what you want, and your standard? The cool part is, if it's your thoughts, your desires, your standard, then it's easy to fix. We do this here. As God is chastening you, respond. And as we do that, he forgives and he heals. Amen? So let's not forget. Let's all stand and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your good word tonight. And we don't want to be those who in good times overlook, Lord, all you've done. We want to remember all the way you brought us, Lord. We want to remember how you've disciplined us in the past. We're still your kids. We've not arrived. We want to remember, Lord, that obedience brings blessing. And we want to remember that there's so many things you've done for us alone so that we maintain that simple trust, that simple gratitude for you. Lord, tonight, if if we're here and we need to repent, if we need to course correct and get on the right track with you again, Lord, we do that right now. We receive that correction, Lord. We receive that chastening from you. And and we, Lord, we're not gonna mope about our problems. We're gonna look to you and we're gonna repent so that, Lord, we don't go further out of the way, but you can heal us. So, Lord, I ask right now for everyone who's maybe committing something to you right now, specifically repenting of something in their walk with you, maybe even if it's just forgetfulness, Lord, of, of neglecting their walk with you. Lord, would you heal them in that area? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It can be so easy to forget how far God has taken us, to look back and not only see that God was blessing us and providing for us, but that even his discipline in our lives was an act of kindness and love, drawing us closer to him. We must remember from where God has taken us, not to wallow in self-pity, but to stand in awe that God's hand was mighty to save, even a wretch like me. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.